How are you guys doing? Good. We're in the middle of a heat wave right now. Yeah. You say that every time we record this podcast. <laughs> it's like 36 degrees today. It's I wore pants. I'm an idiot. Oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> Okay. Um, so, uh, welcome everybody to another episode of Take One. I'm Johnston, your host for this week. I'm joined as always by Bree Proke, Kenrick Block, and our special guest today is Larry Stevens. Welcome, Larry. Welcome. Hi. Thank you for, uh, for having me. Yeah, of course. Free. Thanks for joining us. So, it is week three of Daddy PTA month, um, and we are going to do arguably his best film, the 2007 Academy Award winner, There Will Be Blood based loosely on the novel Oil by Upton Sinclair. Budget was $25 million and it made $76.2 million, so not too, not too shabby. Um, it was not a blockbuster, I don't think, but I don't think you could expect that uh, from it necessarily. Looking at 2007, it was an eye ear, uh, not the 90s <laughs> by any It was no 97, let's just no. make that clear. It was no 97, it was no 99, it was, yeah, it was not a single year of the 90s, but it was okay. Uh, do you guys remember any of the ones from 2007? The only one I can think of is No Country. Yeah. Totally. And they were filmed very close to each other, I think, in Marfa, right? That's exactly right, yeah. 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 There's that famous story of, I think, the smoke from one of the oil fires impeding the shots of, um, of No Country for Old Men. Um, some of the other ones from that year included Juno, the first Transformers movie, Into the Wild, Beowulf, Superbad, Darjeeling Limited, Atonement, Gone Baby Gone, and the Grindhouse movies. Oh, Death Proof and uh, Planet Terror? Yeah. This checks out, but also seems very wrong to me. <laughs> no, I agree. I felt the same way. It doesn't, like, chronologically in life seem like they should have all come out around the same time. It's, That's I, so I, true. I, yeah, like, seeing all of those movies. Again, most, I'd say, like, 90% of the movies you just said, including There Will Be Blood, I saw in theaters. Mm-hmm. And I don't remember seeing them all in the same year. If that makes Watch sense. Watch it be totally wrong. Watch none of those movies. <laughs> <laughs> No, no, I really think you're good. right. So Oscars were pretty lame as per usual that year. Um, I mean, some good movies were nominated, but as always, wrong movies won. Um, no Country for Old Men beat out There Will Be Blood uh, for Best Picture. I don't think that's the wrong choice. No, well, I do. I do. I sorry. Do. I so- I'm sorry, that came out poorly. <laughs> I, I understand that that was the wrong choice, but I still think that's an incredible movie. Fair, totally fair. That's what I meant to say. This is the superior superior movie, but No Country also kicks ass and is way more like digestible to the fucking Academy. Yes, yeah. That is fair, I guess. What matters Um, is that cinematography went to the right movie for once, guys. That's what matters. Is this what else went one one for? Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. He beat out Deacons. Yeah. Yeah, Deacons did. Oh, wow. What a category. They also lost to No Country for Old Men for Best Adapted Screenplay. This is the year that Daniel Day-Lewis won, though, uh, which was pretty cool. I don't know if you guys were in the same boat. I totally thought that not only had Paul Dano been nominated, but he had won for that year, but he was not nominated for that film or for any film. He's never been nominated for an Academy Award. Whoa. For an Academy Award, no, but I think he was nominated for Little Miss Sunshine for a Golden Globe. 
but still i know <laughs> whatever but uh yeah Dan- dano is it dano or dano i, I always have to ask kubrick <laughs> <laughs> i say dano i say dano too yeah okay why did you ask <laughs> there was no disagreement <laughs> and now we're all confused i know wait what was the other option dano dano what if we're all wrong dano yeah watch him be like it's dano <laughs> y'all i'm just making sure everyone feels comfortable yes i appreciate that so a little bit of backstory on the film uh, the author of fast food nation eric slosser was the one to initially get the rights for it he bought them from the sinclair family he wanted to make it into a movie and then he was kind of looking for a director and pta actually approached him about it anderson had read oil and was fascinated by it uh, the book served as kind of like a base for the movie and it kind of gave him a lot of the um, oil language that he used throughout the film as well as the kind of like the father and son story but it kind of that's where the comparisons begin and end you know the book was kind of yeah the base he needed but it was no by no means a true adaptation of the novel as Anderson put it we were really unfaithful to the book that's not to say that I didn't really like the book I loved it but there were so many other things floating around and at a certain point I became aware of the stuff that he was basing it on um, PTA's research was like, I imagine the level that Daniel Day-Lewis goes in to prepare for his roles, I think PTA puts into writing his scripts in terms of the research that he does. And it was kind of, you can, it's like very cool the way that he kind of like gathered all this source material and people speaking from back then and kind of used that as the inspiration for, for the film. Has anyone read the book? I, I haven't. I've read like the first like 25 pages and then I just sat on my shelf. I was like, this isn't There Will Be Blood. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think it's a lesser story. I mean, not to, I shouldn't say, but I think it's maybe like it's the world that's captivating to people right. I think, more so than the, the actual story mm-hmm. of it. Um, so PTA wrote the role of Daniel Plain, Plainview, uh, which we'll go deep into the character after. Um, but to just go, you know, a kind of bit about it before um, he wrote it for uh, Daniel Day-Lewis without having ever met him. He was obviously super nervous to approach Daniel Day-Lewis, but he found out that DDL was a fan of Punch Drunk Love. um, So that gave him the motivation he needed. That Um, was the movie. Really? Yeah. I find that that surprising that Daniel Day's favorite PTA up until that point was Punch Drunk Love and not like Boogie Nights or... Actually, his would be Heart Aid, I thought. That that would be my stamp. (laughs) Apparently, Daniel Day-Lewis has like really weird taste in... um, in like content, like in terms of film and TV. I think it was Paul Thomas Anderson was on like a talk show thing. And he was talking about how Daniel Day-Lewis was obsessed with the show Naked and Afraid. That's right. I Yeah, I did hear that. <laughs> Love him for that. Yeah, like I think we all, or at least I imagine him as this kind of like intense artist. And in reality, I think he's just like getting a little bit high and watching Naked and Afraid. <laughs> <laughs> Love um, that for him. There's a great story just kind of in the spirit of PTA courting actors. There's a great story of him visiting the set of Little Nicky to, <laughs> to initially get Sandler for A Punch Drunk Love. Um, and Tarantino was there as well to court him for Inglorious Bastards, um, which I think is just such a funny thing to imagine. Like Paul Thomas Anderson, Quentin Tarantino, like both trying to like win over Adam Sandler and on the set of Little Nicky, which is just like, <laughs> Yeah, like you're making great content. Let's make better. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, anyway, I don't think Daniel Day-Lewis needed much convincing. Um, it was Anderson's passion that sold him. 
Uh, he said, the understanding that Anderson had already entered into the world, he wasn't observing it, he'd entered it. And indeed, he populated it with characters who he felt had lived their own lives. So I think, yeah, it was kind of, I think it was a matter of two equally passionate people finding each other at the right time. I, I think after they met, they spent several months just kind of getting to know each other um, back and forth. And then they kind of both went to their respective homes and uh, Daniel Day-Lewis started working on the character and Paul Thomas Anderson continued to work on the story. Um, production took three months. As you said, it was shot uh, mostly in Marfa, Texas. One thing I thought that was pretty interesting was the uh, role of Eli Sunday, who is Paul Dano, initially went to another actor. Um, but he was, it's unclear, like, they, everyone will say what the reason that he didn't leave for, but no one will say why he actually left. And I think um, there's claims that, his, like, Daniel Day-Lewis's method acting was too intense for him. He was too, like, they constantly being in character and all that, but... One thing yeah. I find really interesting about this movie in comparison to other PTA movies is that, like, there's DDL and there's Dano, but, like, for the most part, the rest of the cast is really unknown, mm -hmm. where he usually has, like, star-studded casts in his films. Like, I would say this is, like, the lesser of that category, so to speak. And I'm, I've always been curious if that's intentional. I don't know if you have notes on that or not, but I just, yeah, I don't think that anyone would know that, but it's just, like, it's it kind of makes it a standalone PTA movie. Because it's totally. just, yeah. Yeah, and I think, like, we have also, also have to remember that Paul Dano before that wasn't Paul Dano as we know him. Like, he was supposed to be, I think, um, not was, Eli Sunday. He was, like, he was the brother because there's – like, He's the in one scene, brother. right? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think it was just a matter of, um, like, yeah, I think his the, all he wanted or all he saw with his vision was uh, Daniel Day-Lewis and kind of mm. the character of Daniel Plainview. And I think he wasn't too worried about star power because, like you said, it's, it's so not a multi-protagonist no. story. Um, and it's it's kind of the beginning of the end of his doing multi-protagonist stories because, like, he went on to then do, yeah, like a lot of these kind of singular character stories. You know? Punch, Punch Drunk Love was be the one, the movie before this, right? And then yes. he went on to do The Master? Yeah. Correct? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. okay. And there's like a five-year, six-year gap between Punch Drunk and uh, There Will Be Blood. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he yeah. took some time. Um, so that's a, that's a quick background on the movie, everything about it. So I guess the burning question is, Larry, why have you not seen it yet? I actually don't know because I actually am very in love with Daniel Day-Lewis. But it seems that I dropped off after like Gangs of New York. No, The Ballad of Jack and Rose, which I think just turned me off of most films. Um, <laughs> but uh yeah i when brie mentioned you were doing these i was all like oh let's see what paul thomas anderson films i've seen and it's none of them oh really wow wow so we're we're blowing your load like essentially <laughs> <laughs> we're starting at 11 yeah <laughs> out of <Yeah>. 10 <laughs> and do you know like anything about the movie at all like other than daniel day you just took the one thing that I do now. Today, I learned that Paul Dano is in this movie. <laughs> Twice, apparently. <laughs> um, there's something about a milkshake at some point, possibly during the whole film. Unclear. I only know that from Gilmore Girls, like the revival, by the way. I don't actually know that because of popular culture or like because anyone's quoted it to me. I just saw it in Gilmore Girls and was all like, okay, learned something today. <laughs> that's totally fair it's 
it's a movie that has like a lot of hype around it. Do you think it's one that maybe like, what, do you think the hype kind of surrounding it was anything that maybe prevented you from watching it anyway? Have you like, has there ever been maybe a time where you considered it and then you were like, this movie's supposed to be, you know, like an epic. Do I want to engage in something like this right now? If anything, like I wanted to see it, but I think everyone that also wanted to see it went to see it without me. And I was like, well, I feel like this is probably not something you like sit in the theater alone for. Unless I, I bet you Kenrick would sit in the theater I, alone. I, I, my, my, fir- my first viewing, I was alone in the theater. Okay, then I fucked up. Well, <laughs> I was also like living in a very small town in New Zealand and there was nothing else to do. Very bad. My, my like third through <laughs> fifth screening, I went alone. Yeah, Kenrick is notorious for seeing movies in theaters that he loves at least eight times. <laughs> this might have been the most times. Yeah, yeah so mostly not. alone. No, mostly. I think probably Tree of Life. <laughs> no, but that's another I don't think conversation for another time. <laughs> yeah, Fuck the me, Tree man. of Life episode. <laughs> Jesus Christ, I hate that movie. Rated. I was like sixteen, so was I allowed to see it? <laughs> It was That's actually PG. Point. It was uh, 14A in Canada, and it was R in the states. Okay. I don't know why I remember that, but I do. Good facts. Love you yeah, for it. That's good to know. <laughs> so I guess, like, do you have any expectations of it? Like, do you do you think that you're going to enjoy it, or do you think? Are you? Is it more of just like an obligation? You know, like I know that there's for me there's films that I have to see, but I don't necessarily want to see them. It's more that I know people are going to give me shit if I continue to not watch them. I feel like we've, well, actually, I was going to say we've reached the point where I'm not getting shit for not having seen this, but now I'm hanging out with you three and I'm getting so much shit for not seeing this. Um, (laughs) But uh, I feel pretty good about it. Like I said, Daniel Day-Lewis is like my total dreamboat. So I'm pretty excited. I hear he has a mustache. I'm into that. Perfect. I've got high hopes. How many vampires do you think are going to be in this film? At least three, since I know there are three characters. <laughs> <laughs> I also like I, so the story it's based off. I know is like oil exclamation point, which I feel like with knowing nothing should have been adapted into a musical. <laughs> <laughs> Very good point. Oil the musical exactly. <laughs> yeah, so missed opportunity. I am disappointed that I'm pretty sure it's not a musical. It's certainly not. Actually, it's kind of, I mean, the music does a lot of expressing. That's all I'll say. The, yeah, the music, the soundtrack, we will talk about it more later, but it is very impressive. And Larry, as a musician, you will fucking appreciate it. Worst Oscar <laughs> snub in history is that did soundtrack. He, did he, what, did, who did he lose to? Do you, do you know? He didn't get nominated. No, he wasn't nominated. Oh, my God. It was disqualified. I believe he was nominated for Golden Globe as well, the old Paul Dano treatment. But um, No, because they don't, they don't, oh, they nominate songs for Golden Globes, but I don't think they nominate scores. Oh, shit, yeah, maybe, maybe not. Nonetheless. Qualified. Um, he did the entire soundtrack, and then they use a diff, like they use a classical piece for the credit sequence, and that counts as being in the film, according to the Oscars. That's it? Rude. They use Brahms and D minor. That wasn't his recording of it, and that disqualified him from the entire thing. Shut the fuck up. That's so stupid. Yeah. Free doesn't uh, believe. No, she's already hitting know. Google. I am. I am. <laughs> I am. I can't even look at this right now. That's so <laughs> Such a good score. It um, really is. It's its own character in the film, I think. Yeah. What um, was, John, what was your first time seeing this movie? 
I like, I don't think 17 year old me was like in a place for it. Like, I think I was just like, I don't care. <laughs> you know, we, were, like, we were graduating high school that year. <laughs> yeah. Like I was just like, I don't care a period piece. I don't, whatever. Like, you know, I just, I was shitty about it probably. Um, and I think it probably took a couple of years and then probably no, I think no, like knowing who Paul Thomas Anderson was first and then going back and then kind of realizing that it was a masterpiece. And it's one of those things that literally every time I watch it, I appreciate it more and more. Yeah. Um, so I think it's, yeah, it's like, a, it's like fine wine, you know? Um, yeah, it's I, I, with yeah. age. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I, uh, so as previously stated, I, this is my one personal anecdote with this movie. I was living in the small town of Masterton, New Zealand, where there was like two bars and a movie theater and like a shit ton of sheep and like nothing else to do. <laughs> And because it was kind of like the Hollywood theater in Vancouver, um, it was like a second run theater. So it came out, I heard about it, couldn't see it. And then it finally came out and they had like this like cute little newsletter that they sent to the school that I worked at every week. And it was like three movies that they were showing. And it was like Shrek comedy, like, uh, I don't remember what other, like Indiana Jones and the Crystal Skull action adventure. And then it was There Will Be Blood period drama. (laughs) (laughs) i always thought that was so funny that's amazing i wish i could have seen that shrek and there will be blood double bill that would have been wild yeah oh my god that's what how we should all really do this anyway before the second half everyone just go watch shrek yes it'll be a nine-hour podcast but it'll be worth it yeah (laughs) somebody okay (laughs) all right well, Shrek is I'm, also a period drama, actually, come to think of it. It's, it is a period drama. Is this everyone's favorite PTA? It's certainly mine. Yeah, I think it's mine. Do I watch the rest of them after this? Or like, oh, do yeah. I, am I just like peeking here and I don't need to bother? You should. Watch, yeah. Absolutely, you should. But just know that this is the best one. It's also very different. So you'll have a really cool experience mm-hmm. of just like, you'll be like, okay, this is Paul Thomas Anderson. And, and then none of his other movies are like this. So. Well, I looked at the filmography and I was like, Boogie Nights. Okay. Okay. Oh, oh, oh okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Not yeah, where any of this was going. It's <laughs> arguably like his best, but least digestible or one of the hardest to digest. Like it's, yeah. it's, um, it's, has all the qualities of a masterpiece but it is at times like it's yeah it's uh, there will be blood you know like the, it is uh, at times it is quite um stressful and uh, and you know without going too much into it like uh paul thomas anderson really did see it as a horror film you know mm-hmm. um and i think it's so apt and it kind of like when you think about that compared to his other films even if you haven't seen them like it's just it's it stands alone you know because it's uh he hasn't made a horror film before or after. Yeah, like I got, I got into a, a heated debate, let's say, with our good friend Kayla last night about Kubrick, and she is convinced that 2001 is his best movie, which I, again, on like a technical standpoint, would say she's correct, but it's not my favorite of his movies, which is probably The Shining. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's like a personal thing, whatever. But I don't, like I can sit down and watch Boogie Nights any day of the week and I'm going to have a great time and I'm going to love it. Watching There Will Be Blood is a commitment and it's something like, I've only seen it twice, I think. This will be my third viewing. Like it's not one of those movies that you're like, oh, I feel like watching There Will Be Blood right now. 
it, I don't know. I often feel like I want to watch There Will Be Blood right now, but it's really? one of those things that's like, okay. but it's, it's like you said, it's quite, it's an epic. It's quite long. It's like two and a half hours long. So it's, it's, and I know it's probably like sacrilegious to some people that I would do it, but it's a movie that I can easily kind of like dip in and out of, you know, or like, you know, it's often, I find like, at least for whatever reason, the channel that I have on cable, it's often on TV. So it's like one of those things that like, whenever it's on, I'm like, oh, hell yeah, I'll watch for however long I can, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's very true. I mean, it's such an incredible performance. Also, Larry, you should watch Phantom Thread if you're big into DDL because it's oh, freaking yeah. amazing. And it's PTA as well. It's his most recent movie and it's so good. Yeah, yeah. this is going to bring me back on the uh, Daniel Day-Lewis train. It's a good train to be on. It's a short train. So you, short train. <laughs> <laughs> he, yeah, he was your shoes while you're on it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so he won, he won for his first nomination for My Left Foot in 1990. He lost in 90, 1994 for In the Name of the Father, oh which went to Tom Hanks for Philadelphia. Yeah, it's about he, the troubles in Ireland. He lost to uh, for 2003 for Gangs of New York to Adrian Brody and The Pianist. Uh, he won for There Will Be Blood. He won for Lincoln. And he lost to Gary Oldman in 2018 against Phantom Thread for Darkest Hour. I do love huh. Gary Oldman. So he's, three, he's got a 50% approval rating for the academy he's been nominated six has won three which is pretty good it's got to be one of the highest like ratios of more than more than meryl meryl's been nominated like a thousand times and has won what three four yeah same with glenn close has been nominated a bunch and hasn't even hasn't even won once yet she's come so close (laughs) um do you guys think it's probably a a conversation for after but do you think daniel day lewis is done forever do you think he'll ever come back I hope I, I don't think he's not going to come back and then he just creeps on out. I mean, like he made a real, like I, I think his like stupidest call in his career was doing nine and a half. Oh, it was man. such a bad movie. And like, I think that really burned him in a way that he needed to make some sort of like revenants and like atone for that mistake, which he did with Phantom Thread. And now I think he's going to like rest easy. I don't know. I'm so torn. I, I, I like part of me is like, yeah, that's super cool. Just like step out when you're done and don't come back. And like, but then the other part of me is like, please, <laughs> we've lost <laughs> Philip Seymour Hoffman. Like we need, we, we like you're one of, you're still in like one of the best living actors. Like, please, while you're I still just, here. He's, he's the guy who's like, oh, I'll come back for like a really <laughs> good script. And like really good scripts are, I assume, not done forever. Right. That's true. Like, yeah. One's going to come along. I, I bet you if Paul Thomas Anderson wrote the right script for him, he'd come back. Yeah, I think he would come back with the right director. And it would yeah. have to be someone like Scorsese or PTA who he's right. worked with in the past to be like, I trust you, I, pr- I trust the process, um, but I'm only doing it for like a very specific role. Right, right. Well, speaking of uh, role, whatever, that's not a good segue. Well, speaking <laughs> of Daniel Day-Lewis, let's get on a roll and watch the movie. <laughs> I love it. I'm so um, excited. I'm really jacked up. You have no idea how much I've been, like, tempted I've, to watch this movie recently. Yeah, I haven't seen this movie in, like, six, seven years. So wow. I'm, I don't think, actually, I, yeah, I think, I don't think I've ever watched this movie in Toronto. Wow, wow. So. A whole different experience from what <laughs> I made the mistake of mentioning on Instagram that I was going to watch this for the first time and like had to just stop looking at my messages from the sheer number of people who were just so like, oh, you're going to love 
all of this stuff. And I'm like, stop. I just said that I'm watching this for a very good reason where I'm not supposed to know anything. <laughs> That's so funny. Yeah, well, people love the movie and hopefully you're one of them. Who knows? I'm gonna make Nobody. her some, I'm gonna make her some milkshakes after we get off this call. Amazing. Perfect. Yeah, I think that's the whole point of the movie. Yeah. <laughs> Just various um, thick liquids. That's pretty much what it's about. That's actually kind of what it's about. Oil. Oil, <laughs> oil, oil, the musical, milkshakes, vampires. <laughs> I just feel like I'm going into this with a really good grasp of what it's about. <laughs> There's Perfect. no way you're not going to be disappointed after this conversation. <laughs> <laughs> We've led you so astray. <laughs> oh, God. All right. All right. Well, before we lead her any more astray, let's, um, let's break and see you guys in two hours and 38 minutes. All right. Love you guys. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. Delicious things to eat. The popcorn can't be beat. The sparkling drinks are just dandy. The chocolate bars and the candy. So let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. Okay, so three days later, or two and a half hours, depending how you look at it, we're back. How do you, how does everyone feel? Most importantly, Larry, how was that for you? It feels like it was three days, honestly. Yeah, that's Maybe. totally fair. In a <laughs> good way. Or, they did deliver. Yes, yeah, but in, I mean, in a good way, do you feel like it was like a, an adventure, or was it a, a bit of a slog for you? I just feel like emotionally tired. <laughs> That's fair. Yeah. Emotionally drained. I think that's all, that's what we were talking about as well right before about how it's like not the most digestible Paul Thomas Anderson movie. Like it, it does leave you just, just drained. And it's, it's not like other, I mean, not to spoil anything, but we recently did uh, Boogie Nights and Boogie Nights I found left me feeling a little more like sad. Whereas this just left me feeling drained, you know, just kind of like mm. drained. But so I guess reactions, like adjectives, did you like it? <laughs> did oh, you yeah, it was fantastic. Okay. <laughs> Thank God. <laughs> no, Daniel, I mean, it was yeah, like, disappointing. The entire time we were just talking about how hot he was. Yeah. He is was, crazy like, hot. For mo- yeah, for most of the movie, I was just like, he, they always show him like covered in oil and then suddenly clean and they're not giving us a lot of the in-between period here. <laughs> and then he went swimming and I was like, Thank you. we were missing we were missing the like early 20th century shower scenes yeah right right just like i mean it's like it's immaculately clean like the fingernails and everything so like there's there's a lengthy process they were leaving out yeah true what's with the shower scenes how's it get (laughs) all that oil off of them that's what we need to know i mean maybe that's intentionally left to our imagination because my imagination is going and it's going good. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Um, so I, I will say clothes like, yeah, that's true. I don't know how you wash oil out of clothes, like all of your clothes. That's a very good point. These are, these are uh, questions that need answering. I, I will say we were talking about before how like, you know, um, about the budget. It was Paul Thomas Anderson's most profitable movie. It was his most prof. Was it his biggest, biggest budget as well? 
I imagine it would be. Yeah. It, it must have been, yeah, because like yeah. it's just like those scenes, like that one scene of the fucking, the, like the rig, I guess. The Derek, Derek, the Derek it, it, catching on fire, and that whole scene, and like it's just so intense. And obviously, like I, I believe that must have been the scene that interrupted Old Country for Old Men with I'm all of that fucking ask. smoke. It must have been. I think it, I, I read about it during, they were, it was the day they were just testing out pyrotechnics. So I don't think it was even for a scene. They were just like testing shit out and, and probably for that scene though. I'm right. testing out different ways to do the fire. and. But that whole, like, I want to talk about like favorite scenes. Cause that's, I mean, like, I don't think there is like a favorite scene in this movie. Cause I don't think any of them are like enjoyable to watch, <laughs> but that scene is so intense, especially because of the soundtrack and that like right. wood block, like, Thing that's happening and like i remember larry looking at me she's like i can't like what the fuck am i supposed to react to right now and i was like i can't look at you because it's i can't tell you anything <laughs> about the movie but it's such a beautiful scene and like the production value is like definitely shown in that moment mm-hmm. as is like the choreography um as well as the acting of course like it's just like there are certain moments in this movie that like it doesn't even feel like a movie it feels like an experience Totally. Absolutely. Yeah, you're you're out there living with them in the desert, looking for oil. Well, and that's the thing too that I was thinking about this time watching it. Where it's like, if someone were to describe this movie to me, not having DDL attached or Paul Thomas Anderson or anyone, it's like, oh, it's like a early twentieth century oil tycoon. I'd be like, yeah. pass. Like that's so not <laughs> my thing. But because yeah. of the performance and because of the direction and because of the cinematography, like it's oddly one of my favorite movies. But I don't have any other movie that's like this that I love. That's fair. That's a very good point. I'm trying to think of something to compare it to, and I don't think there's anything you really can. And it's not really about oil. That's like the craziest thing about the movie is like it exists in that world. I don't know what it's about, but like... Are we going to say for the third week in a row that it's about family? (laughs) (laughs) It's about fathers and sons. It's about America. (laughs) I I do do have a... I don't know if we want to get into this now, but I do have a theory as to what it is about from my own opinion. Yeah. Like, just in terms of, like, the people and the society of America and, like, you know, 1911 is where we open. They were so driven by religion, And they were so used to having no money and just like making their own way and whatever. And then comes in like power and money, which is like the definition of Daniel. And it's, it's, to me, the movie is about like the transition from, because that did happen in society. It wasn't like everything can be saved by God. It's like, no, everything can be saved by money and by buying land and doing all of these things. And then we get that kind of literal end of the transition at the end of the film when Daniel Day-Lewis kills paul dano's character and it's like religion is over we are now in a time of money and wealth industrialization yeah yeah that's That's very good that's very yeah that's very apt Um, larry do you have do you have a theory on what the movie's about i didn't until now but i feel like brie just really hit it on the head there perfect yeah hit Hit the nail on the head I have a question. I mean, it's kind of just like random, but um, why do, do you believe that Daniel Day or that Daniel Plainview meant the things he was saying to HW in their final interaction about like, you know, I never cared about you. Like essentially you were just, you know, I needed to, some, to sell the family side of the business because throughout the film, you see him caring so much 
about HW and he's like crying over him when he, you know, thinks he's hit his head. But then I don't know the way he says it and the way he is, you're like, God, is he like, and he, when he's talking to Henry and he's like, I don't care. I don't, I have don't see anything in people that I like. And it's just like, does Daniel Plainview lack that? Throughout the entire movie, he also just like keeps talking to his son who clearly has no idea he's saying a word. So Mm -hmm. it's a, it's a really good question. I think, Oh man, like there's so much to unpack here because like, I, I truly think that he had love for HW like I do. And again, in that scene where like the, what is it called? The, the Derek, is that what you call Derek, it again? Yeah. Explodes and he loses his hearing and he's running with him. Like, and he's holding that, that fucking shot of him like spooning him is like probably the best point in the movie, in my opinion. But then when we have that scene, when he's older after the wedding, it's like a jump in time I would assume to him like having an estate and whatever and he's clearly unwell like he's just like in his like massive mansion shooting things for no reason and smoking and drinking like a fish that I think he knows he's that he's on his way out and so he's trying to like not tie up loose ends but like cut them (laughs) so that he doesn't have to have any more guilt before he like I assume that after the like after the final scene in the movie he's like gonna kill himself yeah. Or does he, I mean, does he, or does he go to jail for it even? Like, is this the kind of like, does he even get, you know? Well, he, he says like the, the last, the last line of the movie is I'm finished. Yeah. So, but I took that to be him. Like, I mean, you could take it any way, but it, I took it as him being like almost tongue in cheek about his dinner where he's like, I'm finished my dinner, you know, because he mm-hmm. like, but yeah, I don't know. I think it's that. both. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think he's yeah. literally finished and I think he's done his dinner right that that cowboy shot of just him like that one scene between him and paul dano before like the physical interaction happens it bugs me because it's only in shot for shot like there's barely an establishing um and i i don't know if anyone will ever know this or care about this but when it's on daniel day when he's like sitting down eating the two steaks i hope in my heart that that was all one take and daniel day was just like let me just eat these fucking steaks and someone (laughs) feed me the lines because it's so natural and like so creepy and the whole the whole performance is so like it's so natural right and that's mm-hmm. and I, that brings me to another question is do you think that like how does an actor leave how do you become like this entrenched in a character and in that like life and then just turn it off you know like you always hear about these like people that um that work with Daniel Day-Lewis that they say they never even like hear his real voice until like the premiere of the movie. And they're like, Oh, that's what he sounds like because he's just like in character the whole time. Like how, I was trying to think like mentally, like it must be so, and maybe that's part of the reason that he retired is just like, how do you turn that? How do you do like commit and become a different person and then just like give up that way of, of thinking and speaking and talking and, 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 you know, moving like, you know, I even noticed so much that like the limp was prevalent Mm-hmm. in this throughout it and it's like it became so ingrained that it was just like it, it was in his nature you know I mean I think that we can all speak to like doing embarking on creative projects I mean Johnson you're the only actor here of, of the four of us but like when it's said and done like you definitely have a come down and you like I mean I usually cry and like and depressed for three weeks because like the thing that I've worked on for so long and that's encompassed my life for so long is no longer like I know it's gone mm-hmm. and it's like saying goodbye to someone it's like a death in a way and 
I just because like I, I mean his performance trumps any I, I apologize but I'm putting myself in this ring when I say that like anything that we've ever done creatively but still like that's the creative process of like you birth something you give it life and then you let it go right right that's fair uh, I think I read, I don't know, at least one interview with him where he was just like, oh, if I have an accent for a movie, like that stays for a few weeks to a month, like after they stop shooting because he's just like become this person so very heavily that he's just like, I can't turn it off right away. That's so yeah. interesting. Yeah, because I mean, I know he spent three years preparing for the role of Daniel Plainview. Um, he had a large part in helping kind of like craft it from like what he wore and that kind of those kind of things. And I think he he was very integral. Like I th- obviously PTA was doing the writing, but I think he had a big part in creating who Daniel Plainview was. And I, I have some background information on the character of Daniel Plainview. Um, so yeah, we already talked that it was loosely based on Upton Sinclair's oil. Um, it was also based on a real oil tycoon uh, named Edward Doheny. Um, he apparently had a lot of similarities. They're from the same town. You know, they obviously had the same kind of business, and there was a lot of parallels to their lives. And then one that we kept talking about, you know, where people were joking about, like, is it a vampire movie? And that was honestly a huge inspiration for Paul Thomas Anderson. He always saw it as a horror movie. And he drew a lot of inspiration from Bela Lugosi's Dracula. Um, you know, and that's why even in the opening scene he's like obscured from the sunlight he's in the hole and there's like barely any sunlight coming down and he's like he's like thirsty for this oil the blood of the land you know that's um, so that's so fucking true that i didn't yeah. even think about that that's beautiful yeah, yeah i was joking um, but apparently it's very apt no yeah. absolutely yeah yeah i i had no idea until i read it and then i was like that makes so much sense <laughs> um and the voice is really interesting because um you know, and Kenrick, you know, I was the one who always told me about this was how uh, much of an inspiration to treasure this Sierra Madre was for Paul Thomas Anderson, um, uh, just in terms of like story and. Who is um, it? Humphrey Bogart in that yeah. movie? Yeah. Yeah, Humphrey Bogart, yeah. yeah. Um, and directed by John Huston. Um, and the voice um, for Daniel Plainview was heavily inspired by John Huston as well. Like if you ever listen to John Huston speak, there's a, there's a Daniel Plainview esque. Um, ness to it you know and he's uh the same with he got like field recordings or like oral histories that people would record from the turn of the century of how people spoke as well and uh that's where he was able to get the voice from and again i spent three years um developing the character i don't know how much time he actually spent in the character of daniel plainview but i think it's just you know you mentioned like yeah like i i act but when i hear about this kind of acting it's like well that's not what i do <laughs> i don't but, act. but that's but that's <laughs> also a different kind of acting that's you're shooting yourself in the foot because there are people and daniel day is a perfect example of method acting which is a certain yeah. kind of acting so you do still act that, that level of commitment though is uh, i think otherworldly you know it is and it, it is it absolutely is but i also think it depends on the director as well like I have, as a director, I have, I, I completely um, appreciate and respect um, method actors. I don't want to work with them because that's just not my, ty- my, my style of filmmaking. Like my style of filmmaking is like very real people. And that's why I cast the people that I do in my movies. Whereas like three years to get into a role, it obviously paid off for Daniel Day-Lewis. But, you know, I can't really talk about the experience Larry and I were talking about because it would be unprofessional but I've worked with 
people who say that they are method actors before and they're quite not. They think they understand the concept, but they're not like Daniel Day method actors. And it just kind of shits the production because they're trying to do something they're not versed in doing. Right. Fair enough. Fair enough. I'd like to ask one question about Daniel. Is he a good father? Yeah, I don't know about that. (laughs) Maybe for the time. (laughs) Because he's very good to HW in the beginning. And the accident happens and he's still with him. And then he abandons him on the train, which is heartbreaking. And then he brings him back and is so in love with him and like is kind of atoning for everything. And then we get this huge jump in time. And then he has that awful scene where he says, you were never my son and you were just a basket for a bastard from a basket, which is my favorite line from the movie. But yeah, I don't know. What do you think? Was he even atoning though? Because he seemed like he just like brought him back to be like, I brought my son to lunch. Look, I'm a good dad. Fuck you. That's very true. I meant more like the scene before that when, when HW comes in and he starts like hitting him and like holds him and is like, I'm sorry. Yeah, it is a good point. Like, I think it is quite interesting, the whole um, motivation of the son coming back because it's, isn't it like almost immediately following the baptism scene, you know? Mm -hmm. And it's like, and it's so interesting. Like that, I think we talk about favorite scenes. I think the baptism scene is my favorite scene. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah out of this world it's so good it's so good and it's just like the like the like the performance of Daniel Day-Lewis like where the pain like he's willing to say anything he's obviously is like you know sure I accept him as my savior or whatever but then when he's forced to say like I abandoned my child like it's just like the most excruciating thing for him like his face turns beet red and it's just like do you think it was a result of that and like the guilt of that or do you think it was you know, yeah. you know, as we said, because there is also, I think, a lot of truth to like he wanted people to see, you know, that he was like, look, I, I didn't abandon him, you know, like he, he did kind of bring him to lunch and, and those kind of things. And he wants people to see like, look, I'm still a good dad. Well, and that's the beautiful thing about that scene is he goes to that scene for a business transaction. Not that scene. He goes into the like into the baptism because the guy says you have to get baptized and renounce yourself to Christ in order for me to give you the land. And so he's willing to do anything, the pipeline. Yeah. Thank you. He's willing to do anything to do that. But then when he's in that situation, it breaks down. Cause like Paul Dano is like screaming at him and all of his like realizations are coming to a front. I'm also pretty positive tweet the show if I'm wrong, but like, I'm pretty sure that scene is like when they do like the, the clips of the best actor or like any best performer nominations at the Oscars, I'm pretty sure it's that scene when he's like yelling, I renounce Christ. And you're like, how could he not win? <laughs> yeah. I abandoned my child. Yeah. yeah. I abandoned my boy. I abandoned my boy. <laughs> I, think, I think what's great about that scene is it's sort of a microcosm of the entire movie where it's like, it's, it's, you see both things. You know that he's there because Bandy told him if he wants to run the pipeline through, he, he has to do it. And then like Brie, like you said, you know, it pushes him to a point where he then becomes sincere and he's breaking down and he's actually like atoning with God in a kind of whoever God is in the, in his mind. Mm -hmm. And then the craziest thing, and I've watched this movie so many times and I've never heard this before, but right after he's baptized, he looks down and he says, there's a pipeline. Wow. I didn't know that. Under his breath. I've never known. I've seen this movie countless times. I've never noticed that before. 
I noticed that he said something under his breath, and but I didn't want to like pause and rewind it because I was with Larry and I wasn't going to be that asshole who's like, sorry, <laughs> we're watching this for the first time. But that's what he says. That's so interesting. Yeah. Oh, so good. She's so I want good. to know what he. I want to know what he <laughs> says to Eli because he pulls yeah. Eli aside and says something. And do you think it's like still in the spirit of like, thank you for you know this, or do you think he's like, if you ever slap me again, I'll fucking kill you? Because <laughs> Eli's sl- slapping him across the face, and it's like it's so good, like how he gets into it, and you can tell it almost snaps him out of the so, moment. He starts like joking with him in that moment because he's just like, whatever, I don't have to talk about my son anymore. Like slap him. Exactly. What you want to do. So this is snap and like murder him. This is my my theory is that he told him he was like, you know, I've now like I'm a child of Christ and whatever I've been baptized. You come and find me when you think I'm in need. And that's what brings us to the final scene. Hmm. Crazy. I dig it. I love the choice that that's like the only thing you don't hear that there's this moment. It's very random that he just comes and shows up. Like, obviously, he's looking for money. Or maybe yeah. it's him saying, like, when you're ever in need, you come and mm. find me kind of thing. Yeah. I can see that for sure. Yeah. I like that. I love the... I feel like there's there's sort of the same scene happens three times in the movie, and, and each time somebody else has the power in the dynamic. What, with the slaps? With the slaps. Like, the yeah. first one when, you know, Eli goes down to the to the oil pond and asks for his money, and Daniel slaps the shit out of him and drags him into the mud. because he, And again, he's expressing his pain about his son. Like, if you're a healer, why don't you heal my son? And then you have the, the flip, which is just incredible scene in the church where all of a sudden Eli has all the power because of the bandy track deal. And then you have the final uh, one in the bowling alley. Um, well, and you also have the son slapping yes. him in the face too yes yeah there's a lot of man slaps a lot of men <laughs> slapping each other uh just because you mentioned the scene with the mud and being like why didn't you heal my son i was asking while we were watching this and i didn't know if there was an answer to this whether he ever like actually asks him to do that hmm. i was like this is kind of unfair it was like snapping this man around and never once were you just so like can you heal my son yeah i don't know if he i think it was more just like if you're actually as holy of a man as you claim to be in this healer then you would have already come to do it like i think he's like you know i don't believe it but if you're this man who claims to be of god and is looking for the money for the church like because he was like you owe the church five thousand dollars and he's like if you're truly a man of the church and of god then then why haven't you come and tried to fix my son you know that's not necessarily a good argument (laughs) I could also just see that scene being on the cutting room floor mm. of him being like, I need my, my son needs help. I'm coming to you. Cause they have such a, like a, a weird bond with each other. Like I wouldn't say they like each other. They, they certainly don't love each other, but they respect each other. They understand each other. Yeah. yeah. I think it's that initial negotiation scene at the, at the dinner table, right. Where he thinks he's right. going to be negotiating with Abel and then Eli yeah. starts, keeps butting in. And then he just like slowly turns over and he's like, what do you want Eli? You know, and he's like, <laughs> he realizes like, okay, Eli is the one that I'm negotiating with. Well, they're so, both, they're both swindling the the people of little Boston. Right. right. You know, and they both, and they, they, they both, they kind of need each other. And what's crazy is like, in sort of the beginning of the third act when Eli goes on his mission, there's that kind of like shot reverse shot of Daniel in the like little um, shed by the train station. And he's like watching Eli leave and he's like almost sad. Mm. Mm. Like, the, you know, it's like, there's my, there's my foil. There's the thing that I like 
compete with and um, feel alive competing with and it's leaving, you know, and he does lose whatever sanity has left kind of after that. Mm -hmm. That's a good shout. I honestly Mm -hmm. hadn't thought about that. It's a love story. (laughs) (laughs) It's a love story for sure. I mean, um, Eli did make all those comments about what a handsome guy that. Uh, <laughs> oh yeah, 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 Bandy's son. Like, oh yeah, gone to Hollywood. He's a very handsome man, and I'm like, he's going to do well. <laughs> <laughs> well. What do you think Eli means when he's like, I've sinned, like you know, more than I ever thought possible? Essentially, it's like, do you think he means gambling and alcohol, or do you think it means like maybe it was, you know, like. Maybe I think it, I think it's like lying and persecution. I don't think it's like adultery or homosexual. Sex. No, oh, I never even thought about that. Do you think I that's what I think it was? I didn't yeah. even think about that at all. I mean, when he's pouring the scotch and he pours three of them or whiskey or whatever it is, and then Daniel's like, "I don't want them." I was surprised that he was drinking it, mm-hmm. which is also I, I assume they're Christian. I yeah. don't mean to be. <laughs> I, I don't mean to be. Um, yeah, but it, yeah, he got mad at him for the for the drinking. Yeah, and then he, like, never, he needs it before he even sets it down. He's told to set down his drink, and he's like, "All right, but yeah." I, I never even thought about it being anything like that. That's an interesting point. Like, be it homosexuality or right. I think it's all of it. I think it's gambling and alcohol and sex. I think he's really like done all of the things I he think, should do. Yeah, I guess like a maybe this is wishwashy, so call me out if it is. But like, he has come to face with like the powers, or, or like the like everything that comes from power of being like such a like prolific person, and so people are throwing them at him, be it money, be it sex, be it whatever. Much like Daniel has gone through with having money, like totally. he's a person of God, and this is a person of money, and he's trying to reason with this person and like level with them to be like, I understand I am the same person and I'm coming here to condemn myself, but then ends up getting murdered. Yeah, it's such a horrific final scene. It reminded me so much of Boogie Nights, though. Like, it's totally. one of those scenes, it, it, I think it is totally necessary, and I know we got into a little bit of an argument last time about <laughs> Boogie Nights and the last scene, because it is more of a standout scene. Like, this seems more, like, in the seam of the storyline. and it's Oh, it's necessary, end. for sure. Yeah, But it is, when I think about that movie, I think about that final scene. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's, I mean, I love bowling, so I'm always going to think about a bowling alley. <laughs> I would also like to call out that that whoever the set designer was, um, they have, like, the bowling score sheet on the on the wall, but it's actually a cricket bowling or a cricket score sheet because it says oh. at the top and no, not yeah. lanes, which I didn't notice until this time. Whoever you are, <laughs> love you. And I love the scene, but I had to say that. I think it's Jack Fisk. I could be way off, but I thought it was. Is it F- Fisk, the designer? Yeah, yeah the production designer. I'm not I sure think he's more of a mallet guy. I have a question. Yeah. Why were the Sundays so giving? Was it just because they're Christian? Like, why were they so, like, when they showed up with their land as quail hunters and they were like, can we get you milk? Can we get you, I'm sorry, we don't have bread and all that. It's like, why do you feel indebted to these strangers? I totally agree with you. I even mentioned that to Larry when we were watching. I was like, imagine those times when someone would just show up on your property and you would, like, give away your bounty. I mean, small towns, Newfoundland's kind of like that. When my parents come here, they're just all like, why are you saying hi to that stranger? And I'm like, because they could murder me? (laughs) Yeah. That's reasonable. Maybe he thought that he was going to get something from him. Like, he did ultimately in the end. But 
I think that was just more of like a, I'm like, hello, like I'm here on my journey. I don't know with my son. I think the son was a huge like caveat for that too. Of being like, I'm not a menacing person. Right. I would like to know they never offered the potatoes. Daniel just said they, that would be good. So yeah. I found that a bit rude. Yeah. <laughs> there the will whole, not be potatoes. <laughs> <laughs> he was like, do you have bread? And they were like, no, we have potatoes. And he's like, yeah, that'll do. And they were like, and then they were like, sorry for not having bread. I know. That's, that's what I mean. Man, but okay. I, I think it is the, the culture of the time. And I think it was just like, that's, you know, that you would give generosity. It's actually not uncommon now in certain religions that like, if a stranger comes to your house, you like bring out your finest like dishes and feed them as good as you can. Like that's often sort of a tenant of religions is to treat uh, random guests as guests of God. Mm-hmm. True. It just feels yeah, so un-American now. <laughs> it feels like that whole Bible yeah. story of like, you know, if you don't treat them like guests, then oh boy, it doesn't go well for you. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, I want to talk about the very beginning of the movie. Yeah. For the first, like, I don't even know how many minutes, but I remember watching this movie with Kendrick probably the second time I, I watched it. I realized and was confirmed that, like, there's no dialogue for, what, 12 minutes? Yeah. Call me crazy. But then it's him addressing the townsfolk, let's say, and it's like a MCU on him. Or even like more of like a longer shot than that, but it's zooming in on him, and then it briefly zooms over to HW, and then back to Daniel Day. What do you guys think that means? I, I hadn't really thought. I mean, to me, it very much feels like the perspective of the people that are in the room hearing his spiel, and it's the first. You know, we see him sign his name at the silver um place when he's brought back the silver from the mine and then it's his his spiel and he's giving it to um this audience of people as well as the audience of the film and then you're kind of like yeah i don't know i i what do you think it means <laughs> to me it's more so like that like i i noticed it this time around of like the distinct yeah the pull <laughs> hw and then back to him is it like pta or elsewhere or whatever, trying to say like, this is a s- movie about family. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but I it, thought that I, it was something I clocked this time that I just wanted to bring up. Maybe it's just like a totally moot point, but I thought I think it, was it was interesting. An introduction of what HW is now or who he is now kind of thing. Like it was like, here's Daniel and here's his, because he says like, this is my business partner, HW. Um, mm-hmm. And I think it's that kind of thing. Like, I think it's, it's, um, He's just, it's an introduction of modern day or whatever that, you know, at that time, uh, HW looked like. Because the last time we saw him, he was a baby in a train. He was yes. a bastard from a basket. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And and the film, you know, uh, the camera is commanded by Daniel. Like, it's always kind of about Daniel. Um, and that is one of the few times where the camera, like, goes to somebody else in the same shot. Mm-hmm. Um, if only like maybe even to, to sort of, um, visualize that they have this connection and that Daniel actually like cares about this kid. I thought mm. it was just like a very, very subtle and genius foreshadowing. Mm. That's what I thought this time around, but maybe I'm heat strict. <laughs> <laughs> heat struck. <struck-ing. laughs> You've been down in that mine for too long. <laughs> breathing. <laughs> um, can we talk about the soundtrack? 
It was never what I expected. No. In like a good in the way? intense moments, it wouldn't just be like louder. It would just, I'm just so like, oh, like that's a weird sound I wasn't expecting. Yeah, like the when the the Derek blows and he's carrying HW, and it's almost like wood blocks. Like I don't yeah. know exactly what yeah. instrument they were using, but it's like so intense, yeah. and it just keeps going. And you think you're like out of air, and it's just like, and it's. To like it's when Kenrick was like it was you were mentioning um, notes about it being a horror film. That's where I see this movie being a horror film is the soundtrack. Mm. Totally, even the opening shot of just the mountains and it's just like yeah, yeah it's terrifying. Like, like what the first fuck? I thought that was like some kind of weird like horn or something that was like, actually in the film, and I was like, oh right, this isn't Inception. <laughs> it's the vampire warning horn. Yeah. <laughs> the vampires are coming run. <laughs> but yeah, it was just like, oh, like maybe that's you know, the lighthouse in the background or something. I'm like, oh right. no, this is just an uneasy film from the get-go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's incredible. And actually that piece, um, I think also to kind of solve the mystery of why it wasn't um nominated as a, a uh soundtrack is that opening piece and there's certain pieces that were already pre-written um, and pre-performed actually in, in England. That's what it is. Yeah. Yeah. And they're called, it's called popcorn super het receiver by Johnny Greenwood. And it was his first like composed piece. And it has like about a bunch of out of, uh, out of key violins playing in unison. And there's certain pieces that are, they're quite small. They're almost more like stingers. Mm. Um, but yeah. And then also that piece by uh, Johannes Brahms, uh, Violin okay. concerto in D major, I think it's called or minor. That is not their performance. They they use but, that. But that mm-hmm. doesn't like that was. I was thinking about that uh, when we did our preamble because like you can still have a score that has songs in it, songs in it, yeah. or like or, or pre-made songs in it. So I think it is that it wasn't an original score because Johnny Greenwood used his shit before in something else. Right. Did you look at that for once though? I mean, it's totally bullshit. I, I don't agree it's with insane. that. Yeah. But it, I don't think it's because, like, because if you look at, like, I don't know what a good example of this off the top of my head is, but, like... Any Tarantino movie. Yeah, like, well, I mean, yeah. But, like, if you look at, like, you know, even, like, you know, John Williams is not a good example. But, like, you can still have an incredible score, like Alexander Desplat or something like that, and have a diegetic song in there and still makes it a good score. Oh, yeah. yes. Definitely. Yeah. So I don't think the Brahms thing was what it was. I think it's what you just said about yeah. Johnny Greenwood in, in, instead. Is this Daniel Day's best performance? Yes. Yeah, I feel I, it. I think so too. Larry looks... I've seen him in like so many things though. I think that the level of commitment, like even more than my left foot, I think just the the level of that he lives and breathes Daniel Plainview... For for me, but I mean, it's completely mm-hmm. it's totally a personal thing. I mean, I think the other role that I would think, like when I think of Daniel Day Lewis, I think of this, and I think of Gangs, mm-hmm. which I but also I'm very fond of that one. He's incredible in that, and also <laughs> Phantom Thread, man, like God, he's incredible in that. Yeah, they put, <laughs> you know, they put smoke in the room. So, Elswit, <laughs> <laughs> man. So Larry, like Larry, would like would you watch this movie again? Like you liked this movie? Not soon. 
just because it's like too much. But yes, I think I would watch this again. Just to like, like, I mean, like you said, you were still picking things up. Mm-hmm. Despite having watched this multiple times, like I would like to be able to do that. Does anyone think Dano should have had a better, bigger career? I think he's still having it. It's not, it's by nowhere near. What's done. the last big thing he's been in? Other than, like, I'd say Swiss Army. Yeah. Hey. Oh, right. I love yes. that movie. Yeah, <laughs> I, that, that I wasn't that movie. <laughs> I don't think that was even that long ago, though. Like, I think that was, like, he, that was like three years ago. But he's Love not Mercy. like Love and he Mercy. He also directed a hey, film. Maybe he's another DDL. He comes out when the time is right. Very exactly. true. <laughs> Very true. He was also really good in Prisoners as well. Oh, he was God. really good in The Girl Next Door too. Let's not. <laughs> he was really good in The Girl Next Door. <laughs> I, I think I'm just looking at what. Oh, he did Escape at Dan Mora um, two oh, years yeah. ago. He was in Okja. He was really good in Okja. Right, right. Um, and he's got a bunch of other stuff coming out. And apparently he's playing uh, the Riddler in the new Batman movie. Oh, yeah. Oh, I love that. Yeah, That's great yeah. casting. The one with Robert Pattinson. Edward That's going to be so weird. It looks yeah. rad. I, I was super what, but there's a trailer that came out, or a teaser more like, and it looks really cool. It's I just think he's incredible. Robert. And I think this yeah. is his best performance. And Oh, yeah. I think he got so much love for Love and Mercy and I am lukewarm on that movie. I like his performance, but I'm lukewarm on the movie as a whole. And, but that scene, let's go back to the baptism scene. Like that is fucking acting and like being toe to toe with Daniel day. Like that can't be easy. Mm. And having him scream at you or like scream at him and like doing all these, these things. I don't know. I just think that, I think that he got robbed. It's unreal. He totally got robbed. And like even yeah. that one scene where Daniel first visits the church and it's kind of that like wonder of him mm-hmm. like doing the sermon and like pushing the camera back out of the church. And and he did this on like a couple weeks notice. Like he was just supposed to play Paul. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it was two weeks before they just they decided to replace him for Eli too. So you go head to head with like the greatest living, one of the greatest living actors at like the peak of his per, like performance abilities. And they it's such a physical performance as well as mental there's so much little subtleties going on but they literally beat the shit out of each other a couple times and it's just yeah. like i was i was gonna ask like that didn't seem choreographed like i think they really hit themselves yeah yeah probably i, I think that they would get into that because it's not like huge blows no there's like, slaps but like when he's shoving mud in his mouth and stuff you're like this isn't that's different yeah, <laughs> that, yeah. And, like obviously he didn't like impale him with a bowling pin but like that nobody person, was shoving the mud in his mouth yeah that's what, and there's no way to fake that like that was yeah. like realish yeah yeah totally know, like quite, i think yeah no i agree i think it was all quite like i think a lot of the, the physical altercations between them were real until obviously he hit him in the head with the bowling pin when he's throwing the bowling pins it's making holes in the wall I also, I also have a question about the mechanics of the bowling alley because I want to open my own bowling alley. And there's like those like black wire frames behind the actual lanes. Um, I don't know if you remember that, but like they are there. <laughs> Took a photo. And I wonder if that was like, you know, the 1920s version of mechanics of the bowling alley. Back when they used cricket boards. it was done by jack fisk by the way i looked into that it is fisk okay yeah yeah what a legend and he did the master afterwards as well what was the one we did what was the podcast we did with him 
he was in uh, Eraserhead. Eraserhead, yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 Legend. Yeah. Yeah. I enjoy okay. all faiths. I like them all. I like everything. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I do love looking at this movie through the lens of it's a vampire movie and you have this Count Dracula character who like has to be let into your home or let into your your land and then he just sucks it all dry and leaves everybody fucked and just like moves on and by the end is just this like monster in this castle all alone yeah Mm -hmm. so true hold up living in the basement it's such a great i never really put thought of it through that lens before but it totally works does is that did you not think about it until yesterday when larry texted me and i put it on Wow. Yeah, I was like, wow, it actually is, he is kind of a vampire. And it is blood, like yes. John had said, blood of the earth. Master film critic. <laughs> no, it's totally, it was on, it was, yeah, very precise yeah. on the money. Yeah. Okay, I have one more question, if you guys yeah. can handle it. Yeah. Do you think it was justified killing Paul Dano's character? No. Uh, what do you mean Justified. Well, I, I mean, from his, I, I, I honestly, I'm more, I'm more thinking about from his perspective, because in my opinion, he's getting back at him for calling him, like he's calling him, he's calling Paul Dano a, a false prophet and it's getting back at him for the baptism scene. Totally. And that yeah. was the thing that woke him to become a dad again and then have this horrific relationship with his son that we barely see. Yeah. I don't know. Why do you think he killed him? That's, I guess, a, a clearer way of asking that question. I mean, I think Daniel Plainview had a, had a rage inside of him as well. You could argue that he got his revenge when he gets him to renounce God and then is like, I've sucked it all dry, you know? And he's like, I drank your milkshake. Um, yeah, which by the, line, the, that, the same scene, so. Yeah, but then like he already gets, that's his act of, of revenge, right? As he gets him yeah. to renounce God and then, right. and then, like he kind of, and then he just explodes as he's like, you know, as he's essentially telling him like, it's, it's gone. You've got nothing left. Like, you know, I'm not, I'm not able to help you. And then he just explodes and he says uh, the line, I had to re- like rewind it. Cause I was like, what triggers him to actually start beating up? And he says like, don't bully me, Daniel, or something like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then, and then he starts just physically beating the shit out of him. He grabs um, him and throws him down. Yeah. Don't also like keep yelling though, like we're brothers. And I'm like, and he killed the other guy who was pretending to be his brother. So that's not your best defense here. (laughs) (laughs) Also, it wouldn't be brothers. It would be like something. They would be in laws though, wouldn't they? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Or like like, uncle in law or something. Yeah. Father in law once removed. I don't know. So is it, are Daniel's actions redeemable at the end of the movie? I th- I think it's the like uh I was going to say logical I don't know if that's right. I think it's the it's the right thing. Like I can't imagine that movie without that ending. Mm-hmm. Um because I think it's it's where he's going to go. Like he's destroyed his relationship on purpose with his son in some capacity. Mm-hmm. Then he destroys his relationship with Eli which is his only like sort of equal at the beginning of his like rise to power. Um and he has nothing left. And I feel like John you're you're nailing it, which is like, he already got even like, he's like, I've got you to renounce God and say you're a false prophet, but that isn't enough. And like, he wants more. He's addicted uh, to power. Yeah. He he has to destroy the guy after he's already dismantled him. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Definitely not redeemable, but. (laughs) In doing that, he destroys himself. (laughs) Like he's finished too. (laughs) 
yeah yeah it's pretty hard to justify killing someone with a bowling pin but i i did like to me i think it would be just as poignant if and even more sad if like he just like eli just left um and then they're just both as broken as they were at the beginning of the scene like i i know right. am i like you shouldn't have killed him it's like i think it's totally within the world of the story and within what D- daniel would do because he had such a temper but i think it's also just like it's not like um, if Eli was to leave, like either of them would be better off. Like they're Eli's still in massive debt and he's desperate, you know, he's desperate and will do anything. And Daniel Day-Lewis already <laughs> has everything that he wants. He's already got, like he he's acquired everything. And then he's like, oh, right. I'm so unhappy. You know? Yeah. He has everything he wants, but he has nothing that he needs. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. I love, so, I love like the waking him the the motif of trying to wake up Daniel throughout the film and like it's just such a like there's I guess the three times there's the first time when the bit kills the guy and he's just sleeping on the floor in his clothes and he like can't be woken up and then the son lighting the fire and trying to um hurt the fake brother and then at the end when he's like there's the house is on fire Daniel and then he says like it's Eli and then all of a sudden he just it is. Like. Well, and, all, and also when he after he has this like night of like binge drinking and then the guy right the gun and it's bandy. like what are, yeah bandy and more like what what are you gonna do for me it yeah. is a motif for sure so are we all in agreement that hw wanted to kill the fake uncle he wants to tip him off for sure i feel like like yeah yeah he wants to at least get like get rid of him he, he does he doesn't trust him kind of thing i think that's yeah exactly he wants to tip him off that's exactly right mm-hmm. and he looks through his bag and seems to like realize that something's arrived. I can't communicate with his father, right? Yeah, imagine how like, cause it like in theory, the kid might not like, wasn't even taught how to read and write at that time. So like literally has no form of communication, like doesn't, didn't know sign language at that time. And his dad didn't either, didn't know how to, how to read or write. So it's just like, if you, you literally could like, how isolating must that have been back then, you know, just suffer from deafness at that time. Well, and something I didn't notice is like his, ASL teacher was his best man at the wedding. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like so, and obviously he's there in that devastating final scene. Your little dog flapping. Woof, woof, woof. Let's go out with a hymn. <laughs> there is power, power, power in the blood, in the blood, in the blood. I didn't There's know where I would put my musical numbers in that movie, by the way, though. Because yeah, she was, people, she was, there she was nailing it. I was all like, oh, like they're like building the pipeline. And it's like clank, clank. And like, <laughs> they start singing. Right. Yeah, Here we're going to, this is oil. We're going to start writing oil, exclamation park, the musical. I love it. So there good. might be blood. There might, yeah. Yeah, that's like in the liner notes, like in the t- italics. There yeah. may be blood. Maybe blood. <laughs> Just by saying love you guys. Right. Thank you so much for coming on, Larry. This yeah, been, Larry, nice thank you so you. much. Thank you for having me. This has been delightful. Of course, yeah. We'll have to have you on again in the future. There are um, so many movies I've never seen. That's perfect. perfect. <laughs> her, her original option was Apocalypse Now. Oh, oh wow. Shit. <laughs> well, that's a great one. We should definitely keep that in the bag. Yeah. Yeah. We should okay. do a double bill like Shrek and Apocalypse. <laughs> that's right. Well, I'm going to watch Shrek now. <laughs> Ha <laughs> ha